0: Welcome to the You, Me and the GP radio show, a health exercise and nutrition show for over 40s who want to get back to their best. Discover how to keep yourself fit, healthy and full of energy. Each week, your hosts Rich Clark and Dr. Mark Daniels will answer your questions and interview special guests. Rich Clark is an exercise scientist and nutritionist who helps over 40s thrive, not just survive in today's busy world. Dr. Mark Daniels is a practising GP with 25 years experience. He's had notable success with his patients using simple dietary changes rather than medication to provide improvements. Living in Wales with their families, they see the effect poor health has on people on a daily basis and how easily it can be turned around. Sit back and enjoy our tips and advice. Okay,
1: take two.
2: Take to me being paranoid, it was um, all uh, recording there, but just, I didn't want to waste everybody's time or whatever. Okay, uh, five seconds. Yeah, five seconds. Hello, and welcome to another episode of You, Me, and the GP, and it's a very exciting episode today. We've got a bit of a superstar on the line. We've got Dr. John Bricker. Uh Hello, John. Hello, Rich. Very
1: nice to meet you, and you, Mark.
2: Thank you very much. Good to have you on here. So, uh, we are going to just let everybody know a bit about John. John, um, I've commented lots of time on John's blog and John's work, what he does, but I'll let John tell everybody a little bit about himself and what he does.
1: Oh, my favourite subject. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, uh, basically, uh, like Mark, I'm a, a, a practising doctor. I qualified um quite some time ago, in 1990, here in in London. Uh, Quite soon after qualifying, I became interested in the idea that people were sick, uh, possibly because of factors that were actually in their control, and they didn't necessarily need either medication or possibly even surgery to sort of overcome whatever health issues they had. And the reason I came to that um, insight was really because of my own experience, because I sort of struggled with a few health issues of my own. And then uh, an elderly patient sort of turned me on to the idea that uh, maybe sort of things like uh, nutrition were important. So I started looking into it, changed my diet, got a huge result, uh, read more about it, started to um, use it in my practice as a doctor. And then I uh, ended up writing. Originally I was a uh, a journalist for uh, men's health and I for my sins, wrote a column in the Daily Mail for a while. Uh, went on to, uh, write a column in the Observer, and I still do a bit of press writing. I, I also, um uh, became an author, so I've written uh, a few books now. Uh, and another major element of my work has been to either speak to or deliver sort of programs into, uh, corporate, uh, organizations, so large companies where they have problems with wellness, uh, with their, with their people. And so essentially we have, you know, strategies and and uh, interventions that help their people sort of live and work more healthily and effectively and sustainably.
2: Fantastic. Uh, I'd like to uh, ask you a, a kind of a nosy question. How? What was it like when you first went down the path that you have gone down, similar to Mark? You've done it a, a long time ago when it wasn't. It's, it's almost becoming mainstream. Some of this stuff now. Uh, especially within certain areas and certain sectors. What, what was it like, John? Uh, I mean,
1: I've got mixed feelings about that. It's a very, very good question, by the way, and it's not nosy, and I don't mind disclosing these sorts of things. I mean, on, on the one hand, it was a bit tough, um, you know, partly because, first of all, I was you know, trying to, uh, if you like forge a career in in an area that I didn't know much about, and, I, and I, there was no career path, there is really no career path for doctors interested in that area. So that was a bit scary. Plus, there was a lot of cynicism. I mean, I suppose quite naturally. I mean, you know, back then, this is more than twenty years ago, really. I think there just wasn't really the acceptance or the the understanding that some of the factors that we now take as, I, I think. I think think we take for granted in terms of their impact on health. We're just not really out there then. And so there was some cynicism. The the thing that drove me on really is that sort of in my heart, I had a kind of belief that this is important. I've seen the impact of making some very simple changes in my own life in terms of my my well-being and even my weight. And I just had this... um, sort of unflagging belief that this was important. So in a way, that's what sort of kept driving me on. I'm a great believer in, you know, going with your gut a bit. And if you feel something is right, you, I do generally encourage people to sort of follow that. And while it was difficult at times and, um, you know, swapping careers and switching careers and that sort of thing, you know, you know, has its pitfalls, the overriding drive, if you like, with this fundamental belief that, this is important, this works, and more people should know about it.
3: Did you have to go outside of the NHS to do all this, or or did you manage to do it inside the NHS initially?
1: Uh, No, none of this was done within the NHS. I mean, you know, I think it would be difficult enough to do it now, but back then there, there really were no possibilities. I didn't actually have a massive desire uh, to work as a sort of private practicing doctor, which is one element of my work now. Um, but I I did, and I still do, and, you know, it, it, it is part of my work. You know, on the one hand, um, I didn't want to do it. On the other hand, I, I felt I needed uh, to have the freedom to be able to do that and to basically advise and treat patients in the way that I saw most appropriate, and you know, do you work at the GP, Mark?
3: Yeah, I'm, I've been for 24 years, and it's it's actually very difficult even now to work outside of the conventional wisdom. That's, that's why I was inter- interested in what you were saying about being private, because I find I find quite difficult, and I find it sort of grates on me when I have to sort of stick a prescription for a simvastatin or something. It, <laughs> it, it literally dies every time I do it, and it, but you have to do it. It's very difficult to work as I want
1: to, in the NHS. Yes, and I absolutely empathise with you, Mark, and I, and I, and I personally would, would, like you do, I think, really struggle with that. And so, you know, the way that I dealt with it was just to to essentially get out of the system and then do my own thing. And I, I'm sure, not sure, sure that's, you know, that, that uh, that's not a bed of roses either, right, to, to, to set up basically on your own, uh, essentially sort of turn your back on, you know, what could be... a, a a fairly predictable career path. You know, it's not necessarily the easiest thing to do, but you know, against that, you know, is is a is a relative freedom. However, these days, uh, I think you know we doctors, even sort of outside the system, have less and less freedom. Even, you know, you know what what with revalidation. I'm not against revalidation. I've just been through the process. But you know, even there, you know, there's there's scrutiny on how people did sort of do their work and 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 run their practices, basically. But you know, no, nothing's ever perfect, right? There's always compromise along the way. And, you know, at the end of the day, I feel like over the last, you know, well, more than 20 years, I've had a, a degree of freedom. Is there
3: that actually less it. freedom because of nice, et cetera, that uh, is closing in all the avenues of uh, clinical practice?
1: Well, I feel like... Um, um, you know, as part of revalidation, I don't know, you know, if your listener will be aware, but every five years in the UK now, doctors have to revalidate, which means basically prove that, you know, we're fit to practice and not killing people, sort of willy-nilly and that sort of stuff. Okay, and I, and I accept that. Okay, uh, uh, but you know, part of that process is getting, as you know, if you've been through the process, or have looked into it, Mark. It's about getting feedback from, you know, quite a, a lot of patients, quite a lot of colleagues. You know, no. that, that give basically your assessor, you know, confidence that you are, you know, safe. Uh, and uh, it, you know, I think doctors are still potentially able to do that and be somewhat out of the system, if that makes sense. You know, no. um, and um, and not necessarily be too bound by clinical guidelines. You know, I, however, I treat a patient, I, I'm always I always think ultimately. Can I justify this? You know, is this course of action justifiable? Could I? Do it? First of all, everything that I do, I believe it's the best for my patients. Uh, you know, you'll just have to take my word for that, but I do. Uh, and then after that, I'm thinking, is this justifiable? Could you make a case for this? You know, if another doctor said, why are you doing this? If you could, you know, could you give a rational, reasonable argument for why you're doing it? And 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 then also. Practicing within the guidelines that we're given by the General Medical Council I think is important. So I know what the guidelines are and I believe that I practice within them. Um, uh, I've never prescribed a statin. Uh, that's not because um, I, I wouldn't necessarily prescribe one. It's because people that come to me don't are already on <laughs> potentially statins and are, and are perhaps asking do you think the, the benefits of this are likely to outweigh the risk? You know, I'm looking for a second opinion. Do you see? So, you know... I'm generally in a position where I'm not having to dish out antibiotics for chest infections or or simvastatin or any other statin for, you know, cardiovascular disease prevention or whatever. You know, so I'm in a relatively rarefied area where essentially the people that come to me as patients are coming because they have um, questions, queries, need a second opinion or they feel they do, have mystery illness. Have been chronically unwell. No one seems to know why, or they're just looking for something more effective or safer than what they're currently doing. Basically,
3: yes, it's like the, to my practice where uh, they come in, point their problem and the table, and want to pill for it, which yes. is what happens in the sort of South South World mining valley.
1: Yes, yeah, uh, that's funny. I mean, I've got a, a couple of very good friends, a couple of old uh, college friends of mine who. Well, one of whom's a GP, and 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 that very thing he laments, uh, you know, probably every time I speak to him, this idea that he's he sat there and someone comes in and says. You know, here's my problem, and I'm coming from some antibiotics or something like that. Uh, and I don't have that sort of tension with my patients. You know, they, they come in, um, you know, they're, they're generally very open. They're, they're sort of open to it. That's why they're there. They're there because they're sort of inquiring. They're looking beyond the norm. Uh, and therefore, um, you know, I, I generally don't have conflict with my patients. Certainly not that sort of conflict.
3: Yeah, I, I always wish I could have on my door. Don't enter here unless you wish to change but it, uh, they just come in and expect to have a pill prescribed. But I think we've got to get on to your book, because that's why, that's why we're, we're
1: here to talk to you about.
3: Yeah. But tell us about the Escape to the Diet Trap. Escape the Diet trap.
1: Okay, uh, is that the book we're talking about? <laughs> <laughs>
3: yeah, it's the latest one, so
2: I think no, we've got... No, a, no, no. not my latest book. No, no, sorry, Mark, uh, yeah. um After uh, the book. <laughs> yeah, well, this is fantastic. What a bit of entertainment. Okay, yeah. so the, the book is A Great Day at the Office... Um, which obviously didn't uh, realise much. Oh,
1: yeah, sure. oh, it's Mark, so you can feel better about yourself. It only came out a week ago, so yeah. I don't feel too bad.
2: Okay, I'm all
3: right now. <laughs> I, 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 when we get up there, I will kill Richard. But never mind, let's talk oh, about... Like, I, I'm all here, by the way.
2: just didn't mention the title of the book. We just said, oh, book, book, book. Anyway, John just happens to have written nine books. John, is it nine?
1: It is nine, yeah.
2: So John's written nine books, so it's easy to make a balls at me. But I'll take care of <laughs> the, There we go, fantastic. So, right, yeah. the the, why, t- the same question that Mark asked you with to about the different books. Why did why did you f- were, were you inspired, John, to, to to put pen to paper? Pop.
1: Okay, so um, with regard to this book specifically, so for about eighteen years now, I've done uh, a lot of work. Uh, in the corporate sector. So, I, you know, I think I'm, I mentioned in the intro, I've done a lot of speaking, but I also run, you know, programs for corporates where basically we teach people how to sort of live and work, you know, more healthily uh, and therefore more health- effectively, basically. And then another important aspect of this is sustainability. So in the, in the corporate sector, in, in large organizations generally, my experience is you have a lot of people in there who, um, can struggle from time to time. So they, you know, they can have, they can be productive and perform well at some times, but then other times they feel totally washed out. They, they, you know, they get tired in the afternoons and, and don't function very well and fall asleep in meetings and gap themselves in the, in the leg with a sharpened pencil. You know, they, they don't have energy necessarily left over at the end of the day or at the weekend. You know, to in, interact with their friends or family. Some of them get, you know, sick very quickly when they go on holiday. And so, you know, a lot of these uh, problems um, are actually related to certain practices, like the way we eat and how much sleep we're getting and all of those things. So over the last 18 years, I mean, I have spoken to and worked with literally thousands of individuals. And through a combination of, you know, looking at the scientific literature and, and trying to understand what it's actually showing us and trial and error, and so clinical experience basically with these individuals, uh, I've, I've come to realize that there's, there's many very simple strategies that people can use to, to reinvigorate themselves, okay, to sort of recharge their battery and enable them to perform at high level, very consistently and very sustainably. So, so the book is really a distillate of, of what I've learned over the last almost 20 years. So it, it looks at a number of different areas. So obviously nutrition's in there, and that, that's, a, that's probably the longest chapter in the book. But I also look, for example, uh, at um, everything from sort of uh, eating patterns and what's right. You know, should we be eating three meals a day with no snacks? Should we, should we be grazing? Should we be, I don't know, intermittent fasting? I look at that. I look at uh, hydration and why that's important and other fluids. I look at uh, sleep, which which I've got to tell you is a, is a chronic issue. Uh, I think generally, but particularly in the corporate, so people at quite senior level, is, you know, a lot to do, very often skimp on sleep, and it's usually to their detriment. I also look at uh, things that often are not really spoken about much, light, for example, which I think is very important, light exposure, even sound exposure. I look at breathing, you know, and why, um, you know, very simple tricks that that, that you can use to regulate your breathing can help sort of uh, establish a sense of calm and focus for individuals that are feeling a bit scattered. And then I look at some psychological techniques, you know, just very simple things that people can do um, in order to sort of optimize their sort of mental performance, whether they're at work or outside work. So, you know, that's why it's called A Great Day at the Office. It's really a book for anyone who um, is seeking to optimize their performance at work, um, but also inevitably, as I said, outside work. Well, I've got my thoughts.
3: Well, do you talk much about stress in the book?
1: I do, I do talk about stress, um, uh, but here's my sort of issue with stress, is that I, I've noticed that a lot of people sort of talk about it and say, yes, stress is bad, and I, inevitably it is bad. Um, I think, you know, in the long term, you know, it can have quite disruptive effects on health. But then I find that the potential solutions that people offer to it are, to be honest, uh, quite a lot of the time not very effective, and I prefer to, prefer to come at stress in a, in a slightly different way. Which is this, stress comes, as, as you know, I think most people know, when essentially you're feeling you're not coping with whatever it is that you think you have to do. You know, that, that can be in your personal life, it could be professionally, it could be a bit of both or whatever. Okay? So you're feeling somewhat overwhelmed. Now, um, the, the, what I've experienced over the last 20 years is this, is that one of the reasons that people o- feel overwhelmed is because, for example, they feel mentally tired and they don't feel they're keeping pace, or they're physically tired, or they feel washed down or they have a, a piece of work to do, and they get to three thirty, four 4 o'clock in the afternoon, and they go into a sort of semi-coma of fatigue, usually because of what they've eaten at lunch. Now, if you remove all of those factors and correct them, and they can be, that can be done generally very easily for individuals. I've seen it work literally thousands of times. Then individuals generally have abundant energy. They have their smarts, and so mentally uh, they feel sharp. Uh, they feel inspired, creative, or whatever if you have that and physical energy, most individuals then feel they can take on more or less anything, and are now instantly de-stressed, if that makes sense. They don't feel stressed because they feel that they can rise to the challenge. Yeah,
3: the so pregnant people
1: feel that...
2: Sorry?
3: Stress is an all-encompassing term, whereas there's obviously, obviously a, a root cause, almost always, of why they are stressed. And as you can say, it could be sleep, it could be... That yeah, family life—it could be anything, couldn't it? So you need to get rid of that. Because people yeah, say, I'm stressed, but they don't really know why they're
1: stressed quite often. But that's it. That's it. And so when people say stress, and I understand, you know, I understand that that, that uh, you know that's a term that can mean a lot of different things to different people. And ultimately, it's, it's you know it's a state of feeling uncomfortable, like you know. And you're quite right. The trick is, as with anything, any aspect of health or wellness, you know, find out what's causing the problem and deal with it at that level. And so, for example, you know, it is entirely possible for someone to eat a standard supposedly healthy diet, okay, be utterly depleted. And I saw someone on the program last week, by the way, and uh, he's uh, he's quite senior in a a professional services firm and totally, uh, essentially lacking in energy. But if you looked at his diet, for example, um, there's many different reasons why his diet might be leaving him to be totally lacking in energy. Because he was doing something that was akin to putting sort of petrol into a diesel engine, basically so that utterly the wrong fuel is going in. I, ha- I have very little doubt if he if he responds like many individuals I've seen over the years that when he adjusts his diet in the way that we discussed. He will feel totally invigorated by doing that. And within two or three days, very likely. Possibly even quicker than that. Now, when that happens, he will be instantly in a much better state, much less stressed, and his condition will be fundamentally changed. Okay? Did we discuss the stresses and strains of the job? No, we didn't discuss that at all. Why is that? Because they're not going away. The stresses and strains are unlikely to be... Um, uh, manipulated a huge amount. He, you know, he serves clients and he does it at a very high level. Okay, what is uh, very malleable and very changeable is how he feels and how well he deals with whatever challenges he faces. And my work is really dedicated to that that latter thing, not the former thing, not the stress, how people basically respond to it and how easily they find it to meet the demands of their working life and personal life.
3: The well, what did he tell him to do?
1: Well, I'll tell you what, okay? I'll tell you what I think was wrong with this uh, particular guy in terms of his diet. So first of all, in my view, his diet was shocking. So it's cereal uh, in the morning, possibly with some toast, uh, sandwiches at lunch, usually a foot-long baguette if I remember rightly, and then he comes home and then if he eats anything at all, and it's not necessarily bad to skip a meal, but if he eats anything at all, it's often something quick, and easy. So, pasta featured a lot. Now, there's a couple of things here. First of all, these foods are not even very nutritious. Secondly, as you probably both know, both of them are really quite disruptive for blood sugar, okay? So, you know, you're going to hide the blood sugar, not brilliant, but then you get lows potentially later on, late morning, but particularly late afternoon, which generally totally uh, corrodes people's energy and their vitality, okay? And then on top of that, I had a slight suspicion you might be a bit wheat sensitive you know now i know that's very trendy and everyone says oh no it doesn't really look it exists trust me i've seen enough patients to know now if he's got that as well and a bit of blood sugar dysregulation and he's basically putting fodder in his body rather than food okay then all of that basically has to go not every morsel of it but basically that has to go and he needs to return his diet to something that is going to be more stabilizing more sustaining and more nutritious and what that fundamentally is and it's explored in uh, you know, A Great Day at the Office as well as other books, is a diet based on more natural, unprocessed foods. You know, a bit more primal, a bit, you know, some people are calling it paleo now, for example. If he does that, there is a very, very good chance that already by now, because this program that I ran, I think, was it Thursday? Okay, so we're not, we're not even a week away from that. Uh, already now, he's probably completely changed. His, his whole perspective on life has probably changed as well. Because right now, he's probably thinking, do you know what, I can hack this. And I'll tell you what, a week ago he wasn't thinking that, I don't think.
3: Yeah, I mean, we're, we're both Michelle and I well into the, the, the sleep sensitivity. I mean, I, we have, I have many patients that I've, uh, who've got especially irritable bowel and I things I think of that sort of nature. You just say to them, you know, just stay off the week completely, and they come back two years later and thank me. I think, what the hell are you thanking me for? And they say, well, remember, you said to me, you know, don't take a week. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, I mean, we are fully into uh, of things like wheat and even even lactose, you know, lactase problems. I mean, we there, there are many many uh, issues with the, people's food. that's I mean, the biggest drug we put into our body. I mean, people don't seem to realise that.
1: Yes, uh, and and it is very powerful, and, and and it can cause enormous problems, and it can be enormously healing. And getting it right is just one of those fundamentals. It's not the only important thing, you know, but it is basically a fundamentally very important thing, you know. It, it, it essentially um, is it's our basic fuel, right? Yeah, and yeah. if we don't get the right fuel, the system, we can only expect sort of spluttering performance at the best. Um, get the fuel right, and it can totally transform people. I mean, it did it to me. That the first experience I ever had of this was changing my diet uh, all those years ago. Um, not on the and the idea for that, as, as I alluded to, uh, was someone mentioning to me, you know, a patient the food thing is probably quite important you know what I mean? when I started to read about it and think about it you know, it utterly transformed my well-being to basically return my diet to the, to the sort of diet that I'm talking about uh, now uh, because one of the problems that I had, you know, the, as a junior doctor was awful problems with fatigue, which you can say was, well, maybe the hours, you know, you're working in hospital medicine, blah, blah, blah Yes, that was some of it. But even when I sort of um, slept properly and did all those, you know, right things and had a rest, I still felt dreadful. And my fundamental problem, I think, you know, if I look back and I really think about it, I think I know for a fact that I'm weak sensitive, but I think that was a fundamental issue. I took that break off and suddenly uh, I felt like there was no stopping me. And I think I had more energy than I've ever had in my adult life. And I I see this very, very commonly on uh, on the right sort of dietary changes. You know, it's different for different people, of course. Rich, Mark, both of you, will, I'm sure, will understand. It's, it's not necessarily the, you know, the optimal diet. It's not necessarily the same from person to person. But broadly speaking, returning the diet to something a bit more primal um, has, in my view, utterly um, cured. Well, um, yes, well, possibly curative, probably. I mean, if your irritable bowel is caused by wheat, which it quite often is, as you've uh, mentioned. If you take that out, you've essentially cured the issue, right? It's not always that, but it's very commonly that. And I I think, Mark, you're quite right as a doctor, when individuals say, oh, I've got this little well, just say, look, just take wheat out, see how you go. All right, just do it for two weeks. Of course, within a week or so, they're already better. And for individuals that recognise that, there's generally no going back. They don't want to go back there because they don't want to be unwell.
3: I mean, I I see a lot. I mean, I know we're going to point here, but uh, just interesting to speak to a like-minded person. One of the biggest problems I have when I started uh, in the practice, there were two percent of patients with diabetic. It's now eight percent, and uh, I mean, I, I my feeling is that um, nutrition is the answer for diabetes, not uh, the latest glyptin or whatever drug is out there now. And it's very hard to get other people on board with this. Extremely difficult. It's extremely difficult to get
1: diabetics themselves on board with it, but
3: it's even, even more difficult to get health professionals
1: on board with it. Yeah. What do you think about that? I, well, I think it's mad, madness. I, I, you know, the, the fundamental problem, you know, with diabetes is people are a bit, you could describe them as being a bit sort of carbohydrate intolerant. They don't handle sugar well. That's their fundamental problem. And sugar, of course, comes from sugar, but it starts with sugar. It's just trains of glucose, molecules, right? Um, now, the madness, I think, is this is that uh, very often uh, diabetics uh, are advised to eat a low-fat diet. And eating a low-fat diet, for most people, means eating a relatively carbohydrate-rich diet, which is what many diabetics eat and think that they should eat, these supposedly slow-releasing carbohydrates. And yet, many of these supposedly slow-releasing carbohydrates, you know, bread, potatoes, rice, pasta, breakfast meals, release sugar about as quickly as table sugar, many of them, even more quickly than table sugar, okay? They're highly disruptive, particularly when eaten in quantity. So why would we tell people who have problems handling, essentially, carbohydrates in the diet to base their diet on these very disruptive foods? To me, that's utterly mad. Now, my experience has been when you sit down with a diabetic and you explain this, they get it in an instant, and that doesn't make any difference, basically, whether it's, they're 60 years old, or six years old they get it and what I find quite frustrating is how many health professionals don't seem to get that and you may know this if you have manage diabetics well if you take diabetics and you basically put them on a much lower carbohydrate diet it doesn't have to be stripped back to nothing but essentially a lot of these foods go they have and I'll just tell you what happens and this is very consistent much better blood sugar control much less blood sugar variation much less tendency to hyperglycemic attacks. They need l- much less medication. Many of them come off their medication. So the type 2 diabetics very often are able to come off their oral um, hypoglycemic medication, okay? And that's all done very simply with a very logical and intuitive dietary change that for some reason we're generally told is the wrong way to eat, which is essentially um, a lower-carbohydrate diet, that is utterly appropriate for diabetics. I just don't get it.
3: I, 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 and,
1: you know, it frustrates
3: me. It's probably, and it's a bit back to Atkins. They, they all say, oh, it's Atkins, it's got to be bad, it's got to be bad. And I, I was looking at the expert plate, I don't know if you've seen it, yeah. there's a thing called the expert plate, where diabetics are given this hand out from the NHS, and it's actually one-third white food, in other words, bread, pasta, etc., one-third vegetables, and then a very small amount of... Um, protein and fat, and it's utterly rubbish, yes. and it drives me completely bad, unfortunately we have to send people to dietitians who tell them this and mm-hmm. it's not the dietitians fault. it's just the way they're taught, and it, it just seems the speed of the NHS to take on new things is so,
1: so slow, incredible I think that's right. I recently had a um, a bit of a, a dig on my blog about, you know, NHS choices, the website yeah. I, I saw that, yes yeah. that's probably something about carbohydrate, and it is, you know, totally bonkers. And it's all, as, you, as you've as you alluded to, it's just sort of, oh, you know, low-carb, that's Atkins, that, and, you know, it's mad, and we need carbs for energy, and it's just rubbish, basically. Yeah. And, um, you know, the really good thing about this is, is that we're able to have this discussion now, okay? Um, and it is uh, nice to be able to speak to a couple of uh, people, particularly, excuse me, a doctor that isn't stuck in, you know, a conventional sort of dietary dogma, you know, so that's a good experience for me, I have to say. Um, and not that all doctors are, are stuck in that sort of dogma, but the good thing is as well is that because of, you know, shows like this one, as an example, and the Internet generally, I think the genie is now out of the bottle, basically. Yes. So, so for example, if you look at, um, you know, the response to that NHS Choices article about carbohydrate. They've, they've got a rating system there, you know, how, the, how useful yeah. it is. And uh, the last time I looked, you know, um, there were 400-odd votes, and the, the great, great majority marked it as uh, one out of five for uselessness. Mm-hmm. So these are a lot of people basically saying, it's useless, okay? You've given us bad advice, I think, is what the general message is. Now, 20 years ago, for example, I know we had the internet, chances are that wouldn't have been tongues at all. Everyone would have merrily gone off and go, yeah, of course, we know that it's great to eat cereal and bread and it's all fantastic. But I feel like we've got to this point where the general awareness in the public, um, certainly for major sections in the public, is massively outstripping and has and, and gone way beyond the conventional advice. I mean, I just think people are better informed now. And therefore, we doctors, okay, are going to have to get with the programme. The NHS is ultimately going to have to get with the programme. Because the risk is, is that people are basically going to stop listening to the NHS and doctors and whoever. And they're just going to go, do you know what, we're fed up. You've given us very poor advice. You've shown no attempt to change. We're going to go elsewhere. And I think that is just going to happen increasingly, actually.
2: It's a, a great. Fantastic, yes. Sorry, you want to speak, Rich? Sorry. No, no, go on. I'm going to speak and then I'm going to do, wrap things up. We've got about, about three, four minutes left now before okay. I go on to another okay. four.
3: A quick thing. Do, do, I, I noticed that in the. I mean, I first got into this after uh, it. What if it's all been a big backlash? The Gary Taubes thing in the New York Times.
2: Yeah.
1: He's
3: had an enormous backlash. Do you, do you suffer from anything like that? When you put your stuff out there in the Guardian or whatever, do you get a backlash?
2: Good question.
1: Uh, To to be honest, I'm always amazed at how little um, people seem to want to come sort of after me somehow. And I I sort of, um, I I think there was much more initially. First of all, I think there was more scepticism. And also, um, you know, a lot of these skirmishes have been public. So people wander onto my blog or I wander on somewhere else and we have a little bit of a... You know, to and fro, sure. and you know, look, you know, it's up to up to other people to judge. I actually think that when, particularly dietitians, if I'm going to be frank, uh, interact, uh, they don't necessarily make a very good account of themselves, to be perfectly frank. And I don't, I think, basically, what's hap- happened is that people have become wary, because I'm not one that n- naturally will just back down and go, no, 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 you're right. And, you know, in the in the past, you know, as a journalist, I've had, you know, trade organizations come on and say, you can't say that, the science doesn't support it, and we've had a little bit of a behind-the-scenes um, uh, fisticuff session, and then, basically, it's sort of gone away. And I think, basically, I, I don't know what's happened. I think, first of all, people are more enlightened overall, and then, secondly, I think... Um, Probably I have a bit of a reputation for someone that's just not going to say, yeah, okay, fine, just leave me alone. Anything for a quiet life, and I. And as a result of that, I think you know, ultimately I've, I've ended up in a position where I don't attract as nearly as much criticism um, as I as I used to, or as I, I would anticipate now even.
2: People have tried uh, to people have learned not to mess with you, Dr. Briffa. I've read some of your. Uh, you know, take our tapes back and forth with some of these big companies and corporations and things, and uh, you give it to them good, so uh, thank you for fighting the fight for us all, really.
1: Well, uh, thank you for saying that, um, and I'm an only—I'm a little fella as well.
2: Uh, so you're, a, you're a keyboard warrior, mate. <laughs> so, right, I'm going to have to kind of wrap this up, i got another quote uh, due in five minutes or so, so... We'll definitely get you back on later when you've got anything else to kind of shout about Dr. Briffa. So today was all about the book, A Great Day at the Office. Everybody can find out about that on drbriffa.com, and also they can get on Amazon, just type the the title in. But lucky that you're listeners to this show. We've got 10 copies to give away, and I thought just to kind of boost up the, the show a little bit more, we could... The next 10 people from today, the 21st of January 2014, the next 10 people to rate and leave a review on iTunes for us will uh, get a book sent out to them. So once you've left uh, your review, you can email me and uh, send me your address and I'll send the book uh, straight out to you. So there's those for the uh, listeners. Um, again, thank you to Dr. Priffer. A little bit of housekeeping uh, for everybody. If you've got any questions to send us, then just email them across to me at info at richard-clark.co.uk. If you want to find out of anything we've spoken about during the show, you don't need to make notes, you can just go across to the blog and read all about uh, the show um, and uh, find out any links or anything that we've spoken about. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to say, Dr. Biffle, before we kind of finish up?
1: Yeah, there's two things. First of all, um, the last time I was in South Wales was the day... That Wales played England at the Millennium Stadium at the end of the Six Nations last season. Really? I'm going to tell you, as an Englishman, okay, it was it was very painful viewing, okay. I could say, say that. But this has helped rehabilitate my attitude to Wales generally. Mm-hmm. So that's great. And thank you very much for having me on the show. I'm very flattered, and I've enjoyed speaking to you both enormously. Good,
2: enjoyed. Yeah. Thank you very much, everybody, for coming on the call, and bye uh, uh, from me, Richard. And back from me, Mark. And bye me. <laughs> there we go, John. Thank you. Okay, take care, everybody.
0: See you next time. Bye-bye. Bye. You, Me and the GP radio show is intended for general information purposes and is not meant to diagnose, treat or cure any disease. It is not designed to provide specific advice and anyone with a medical problem should seek the advice from their own doctor. Please note, We accept absolutely no responsibility if you turn into a fitter, stronger, more energetic and all-round better version of yourself. To get the show notes, just head on over to richard-clark.co.uk.